Greg. It's 2019. It is. Goodbye, 2018, you. Goodbye, indeed. Terrible year, you. Not not a great one. Not in the top 10 years, that's for sure. Of all time. <laughs> Probably well, not in the bottom 10 either, but let's just well, be honest. No, that's true. I mean, there was... <laughs> Uh, there was no Black Death uh, or Ice Ages in this yeah, year. So. Or nuclear attacks or, yeah. uh, you know, thousands well, of people dying in a single day, generally speaking. <laughs> came pretty close, maybe, to the nuclear attack part. But, true, true. Um, a little, had a whiff on that one. But, um, yeah, so it's 2019, and the end of 2018 is when everybody does their kind of year in review so we waited a couple weeks to do ours. Yay. <laughs> uh, the reason for that is um, not only were the holidays upon us, but also I got super sick and could barely talk at all. And this being an audio medium, we kind of needed to wait a week or two until I could speak again. Yeah, I kind of wanted to see what you sounded like, but I guess I'll let it slide this time. Um, I- imagine Cookie Monster doing a Tom Waits impression six rooms away. <laughs> so very quiet. <laughs> um, and, and it hurt. It hurt. Every, every exhalation hurt me. Wow. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Uh, yeah, it's, there's some nasty stuff out there right now in, in our area, like in the, in it's very regional right now. Like there's a central Eastern PA, like stomach bug that's just going around. Mm-hmm. And instead of one of those bugs that you, you know, yeah, 24 hours and you're you're pretty much done and it's terrible. This is lasting like three to five days. Ouch. And uh, so luckily I've not had that, but Shay's been super sick as well. She's still getting over it. And I guess they're saying the flu this year is an H1N1, you know, the one causing the most harm. So, uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Get your flu cool. shots. Wash your hands. Be safe out there. Yes. Or don't. I mean, well, what, what I, doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So, uh, maybe. Fair. I got mine from... I'm blaming it on my my uh, sister-in-law and her husband. They came from uh, they came uh, back home from San Jose uh, for Christmas this year, and it was great because my you know it was the first time it was me and my sister and our parents all under um, one roof for Christmas you know Christmas morning. Um, it's been like probably ten years since we were all together on the same day, not some weird like, okay, well, we'll see you on Christmas Eve and then we'll see you on Christmas. So that was all great, but they brought with them some West Coast bullshit virus that just laid my whole house <laughs> low for a week. Ooh, you also yeah. have a little like germ bomb every day. Although I guess since uh, since Charlotte doesn't go to daycare, she doesn't quite bring home the same no, level of, of germ um, infestation that some kids do. She does not. But she also doesn't have the same level of hygiene that you might expect from <laughs> an adult in terms of not touching things and putting them in her mouth um, or sharing whatever it is she has with every surface on your in your home. So fair, fair could be worse. But anyway, I'm back. I'm at 80 percent. So we can talk about um, the year that was before we uh, delve into it. What you been into? Um. What have I been? Well, I know what you want me to talk about. This isn't baiting at all. (laughs) I know that you want me to talk about how I've just been reading Brandon Sanderson nonstop since um, Thanksgiving. Um, But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to talk about Red Dead Redemption 2. 
Um, you already talked I, about that. I don't know what I've <laughs> talked about. What I have. You know, man, my diet is limited now. It's true. So, yeah, no, I've been playing a lot of Red Dead, and I've been reading the Sanderson. I, I um, Back before the holidays, I started Wheel of Time. I got through it. The first book, that is. I didn't, I didn't love it. It was fine. I was looking for some just high fantasy cheesiness, and it certainly delivered. But then you were saying like, oh, you got to do um, Stormlight Archives, which is Brandon Sanderson's uh, high fantasy, epic fantasy series next. And I was like, no, no, no. I want to read another horror book after that. I need to. And then you sent me a link of just like Amazon was doing a three for one deal on the Stormlight books. Like get all three books on Kindle for nine dollars. I was like, fuck it. You called up Bezos to make this happen. You called it a favor. <laughs> We're tight. We're tight. Me and Bezos. Just get me. So, um, so yeah, I, I went through the first book of that. And then I read the Mistborn Secret History because you wouldn't let me not read it. And now I'm uh, starting Words of Radiance, which is the second book. And I'm enjoying it. I'm moving through it. It's uh, it's it's light. It's Sanderson is what you expect from his stuff. Um, it's it's yeah, it's scratching the itch. I'm really proud of you, Greg, because Way of Kings is a long book. <laughs> well, I did have a lot of time off. Yeah. Um, and when you put it in, you know, when you're rigging up Christmas lights, you put it in your um, put it in your headphones and go and you're wrapping presents and doing all that pre-Christmas stuff. You can knock out a, a pretty epic book. Yeah, true. Well, cool. I'm excited, as you know. Uh, and maybe we'll uh, maybe down the road we'll be able to do like a full like just full blown Sanderson episode and really dig into it. It's a lot of material. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of material, but good, good. Uh, I made the questionable decision to buy Star Wars Battlefront 2. Ooh, yeah. Um, which I hadn't really been following because I don't really just follow many games, but I it was like $6, and I was like, well, I like Star Wars, and I've heard... I have some friends who were playing it, and I like that sort of thing. And I was like, well, I've heard that the initial release was terrible because it was just like you could just pay to win everything. Mm -hmm. But that they basically removed all of that and then have been kind of on a good path since then. And then I also heard that I used to play Battlefield 2142 back in the day, mm -hmm. uh, which I very much enjoyed. Uh, and that had a game mode called Titan Mode where you would battle on the ground and, and you know in the air over control points which destroyed the shields and on these big basically like capital ships in the air and then once the shields were down you would board them and try and destroy them hmm. and since this is the same company that made battlefield 2142 they said they're going to add that mode to battlefront 2 using star wars stuff and that checks some boxes for me <laughs> so i was like yep i want to do that and relive some of those days now i'll say this the game it's pretty fun. I'm not going to say it's a well-made game because that should just be a lie. Mm -hmm. It is a pretty looking game and it definitely is like a, a good take on its goals. I guess it, it achieves its goals. I think, you know, is it the smoothest game? No. Is it mechanically the most interesting or competitive game? No, not really. But, you know, it's it's fun and, and it's fun uh, just being in a big epic setting with like 40 players all, you know, flying starships and land speeders and whatever else. And just feels like you're in the middle of a Star Wars war which is you know part of the point so it's fine i've been doing a little bit of that maybe a lot of bit of that but and the campaign was actually like it was a little short but it was good it was interesting different twists and turns a little more depth than a typical like shooter campaign or star wars 
game campaign, I'd say, mm-hmm. um, because you play as a you know imperial agent to start, which is you know different. But yeah, and I've just been reading a lot. Yeah, just like I don't know what's gotten into me. I just want to read, and just, instead of doing other things, I just come home and I read sometimes, and that's you know I haven't been doing that for a while. So I finished the Farseer trilogy, uh, which I think I discussed last time, but. I also read Brandon Sanderson's Skyward and his Legion collection, and now I jumped into, uh, it's a series called The Live Ship Traders. It's the next Robin Hobb trilogy in her broader world, mm-hmm. and it seems to have nothing to do with the first trilogy, and is very different in pretty much every aspect so far, which I guess is good. Uh, it's one of those, you know, where that first trilogy was a single point of view, you know, you follow one character, kind of a Name of the Wind-esque kind of style. This book introduced me like eight point of views in the first, you know, <laughs> two chapters, one of which is a living ship, which That's is not crazy. Weird. Yeah. Uh, they're like carved out of some sort of magical wood and then they need to like mature and then all of a sudden they become alive. And I think like it's like the uh, what are those things called on, on the front of the ship? Like the, the figurehead. Yeah, there's a there's a word for it. But um, yeah, like that, like talks and stuff and they have like a consciousness. And so. But I think they have like a skewed view of time because they're made of this magical, durable wood. And I'm kind of interested. I didn't think they were going to be like a point of view. I knew they had this book had like living ships, hence the name. But I didn't think I was going to get like a point of view of one of those, which is kind of cool. So it's guys, it's pretty weird stuff, uh, (laughs) especially compared to the first trilogy, which is pretty like tame in the weirdness level. So we'll see how it goes. So we dig into our tops. Yeah, let's let's talk about 2018. All right. So where should we begin? What's what, what, what's your what's your first category? Um, let's talk about. Let's just start the thought. Let's let's do movies. All right. What was your? Well, I, I'm looking at the document. I know what it was. Tell them your top movie of 2018. Unsurprisingly, for many people, my top movie was Infinity War. And I had to say, I was looking over some top lists, you know, a couple weeks ago, as you do, as it happens. And I was surprised to like not see that in as many lists as I expected because it got pretty good critical praise when it came Mm -hmm. out and i just feel like i feel like movies there's definitely a recency effect when it comes to some of these things which is like oh i saw it so long ago Mm -hmm. i don't remember was that 2017 or 2018 or um but i loved this movie and i've watched it probably six to seven times this year wow uh you know, we were on vacation for a little bit. We just would have it on in the background. And then it was came on Netflix. We kind of popped it on, you know, we're having a party. And before it gets rolled, we'll put it on the TV. And every time I watch it, I catch new things. Every time I watch it, it makes me feel things. I just feel that what they did in putting together this monstrosity of a movie, but making it feel so organic and, you know, straight, like streamlined, I just really respect it, both from like a mechanical like uh, objective standpoint, but also just that I, on a personal level, really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, so you thought I was gonna say Aquaman, right? No. Uh, did you see it? I didn't see it. I, okay, I kind of want to, but I also kind of don't. I don't know. I don't. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, my movie was Hereditary, which I I'm surprised that it it, but that movie has stuck with me. Um, I saw it in June when it came out, and you know. Six, six and a half months later, I'm still like thinking about it and it's still like haunting me. Um, And to me, that says a lot about a movie because so many movies are just, you know, they're forgettable. They're entertaining while they're on, but they don't leave a lasting impression on you. 
Um, and that movie did, and not just for, it has some shocking moments, but not just shock value, like the way that movie touches you. Um, it, uh, yeah, it, 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 it has left a, a, a very deep impression on me. Um, and I, I haven't watched it since I saw it in the theater. But um, yeah, that's my movie of the year, Hereditary. Hmm. Got it. I have seen that appear on a lot of people's lists. Uh, it seems to have been a fairly well-received movie. Well, I start, I'm starting to see that little like, oh, it's overrated kind of thing in a lot of comment posts and things. So what do you think about that, Greg? Well, I think, it, I mean, it was divisive when it came out. <clears throat> Um, I think that horror is a tricky genre in terms of what people expect. Um, there are people who look at the horror genre and expect, expect it to play to its tropes and they're not really looking for surprises. They're not really looking for someone to, um, manipulate them using their expectations of horror. Horror fans don't mind a having their expectations played with in a movie like Cabin in the Woods or Scream that acknowledges the viewer's ex- genre expectations and kind of goes with it. Whereas Hereditary more manipulates you through your expectations. And I think there are a lot of horror fans who are not interested in that. And this movie takes some turns that take it far away from traditional horror movie. And then I think there's a lot of other people who looked at it more as a more modern artsy horror movie that's really about deeper themes and is about family tragedy and mental illness and all that. And then when the movie reveals itself to actually have a lot of supernatural shit in it, I think it alienated those people as well. So it kind of straddles the line between kind of classic horror and modern horror. And as a result, probably alienated a lot of people. And I'm fine with that. I, you know, I generally like divisive films because to me, the more divisive a film is, that means it's taking chances, which means it has a point of view. It has something to say. And um, so it's more likely to be something I enjoy than something that's just generally like widely praised. Those movies are usually good and entertaining, but rarely leave any kind of impression on me that makes sense uh yeah cool i think i asked this before but is is it is it too spooky five me greg um so so you when for you when it comes to like what are the elements of of a typical horror movie that like really really spook you are you you know do you get startled easily is it you know like disturbing imagery what you know what's your what's your problem man um, just a couple levels to this. The first thing I don't like, so like a lot of jump scares can just like put me too on edge to like be enjoying myself. Some of that's fine. And being in your home versus or watching on a computer screen or TV screen versus a movie theater is very different in that regard too. Uh, just cause your level of immersion is a little lower. And, uh, so if it relies wholly on jump scares, jump scares, I don't like that. I highly doubt this does. Um, Supernatural stuff doesn't bother me as much as more realistic stuff. Like, honestly, I bet some slashers would probably scare me more and Hmm. leave like a a more like I tend to dream very, very vividly, but they tend to be somewhat realistic. And guys chasing me with knives seems more realistic than like spooky ghosts. And then there's a level of disturbing imagery. Like, I don't like torture porn and I don't like torture porn when it's on like certain groups of people like. I remember, like, I, uh, like, 
like families and stuff. Like, I don't like to see like that's one thing I do like about slashers is like, ooh, sexy, sexy teens. Who cares? But like, I remember watching um a movie that's still like I don't think it's like a particularly good movie, but one that I had to watch, which was uh oh man, what's that one? Oh, the Hills Have Eyes. Yeah, the 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 remake, not the original. And like, there's a scene where like. The mom with the baby gets shot in the head, and then like the little like the teenager gets raped. I'm just like, ah, this is just a lot. And I don't. And the mom like the the like the grandma dies, and she's like, come on, everybody, like this is. I just don't like that. It just like it hurts me on the inside a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Well. So from what you've described, Hereditary might not be for you, um, because it does. There could be some overlap in the Venn diagram there okay. on the surface level. But I would say that what Hereditary gets right, to go back to something I heard on Brandon Sanders, Brandon Sanders, Brandon Sanderson's Writing Excuses podcast, they were talking about the horror genre. And one of the hosts on the show, I'm not sure it was Sanderson or one of his co-hosts, was talking about what horror is. And he said that horror is the feeling of it, it is the recognition that your life is going to be measurably worse from now on uh, and uh, the the recognition that things have taken have taken a permanent turn for the worse um and that is what that is that is the that is the description of the human feeling of horror as opposed to dread or fear or you know unease and hereditary captures that feeling 100% that is what hereditary is preying on in your feeling. And so if that feeling when you watch certain scenes in other horror movies where that feeling of you feel bad for the characters because things have gotten worse for them in a real and permanent way, this movie is going to hurt you. Um, whether or not that's a good thing, I think it's important. That's what this movie wants to do um, to make you think about other things then go for it. It's a very well-made film, but um, it it might bruise you a little bit. Got it. Got it. I'll put it on the the maybe someday when I'm when I can gird my loins and, uh, you, feeling, you know, really feeling strong, <laughs> feeling strong. Um, yeah. So I'm just I'm just too empathetic, man. I just like I just care too much. <laughs> um, all right. So on to the next thing. Yes. How about musical albums? I think we agree on this one. Yeah. Um, most people are probably unsurprised, although I had to say that, although I spent most of the day yesterday listening to it, I can't tell at this point if I just really, really like it or it's just earworms, man. Like, the, like it just has dug into my brain and I can't get it out. Uh, we, of course, are talking about the Zeon Arders, uh, Stranger Fruit, Stranger Fruit. Yes. Um, which we talked about previously and have not seen them and you're going to be seeing them, uh, I believe in the spring here, right? Yeah. They're, uh, touring with Deaf Heaven and Baroness, which is. A hell of a lineup for me. Yeah, that's a great that's a great show and a half. Well, assuming Baroness mostly plays from the Blue and Red albums, then it's a hell of a lineup for me. We'll see. <laughs> they probably won't, but fine, whatever. Yeah. Uh, um, still a good band to see, I'm sure. Yes. No, they put on a great show. Um, yeah, man i I listened to it again over the Christmas break uh, to kind of check back in because sometimes I get really amped about an album, but it's almost like I have a crush on the band and I get over it pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah. Like, I'm just like all in on one particular band. But I was listening back to this and it held up. The feelings I had for it back in the summer are the feelings I have for it now. 
Yeah, I would agree. And I, I tend to do the same thing, especially like with a band. And I tend to just like listen to the new album or the you know, debut or whatever, like over and over and over and over and over again, and which is part of why I don't listen to as much new music as I would like, because I end up it just takes a lot of time to just like dedicate listening 50 times to one album. Although I do feel like it helps me to appreciate more. I really do think I've come to come to decide that with music, I think you really got to give albums like a number of listens to really mm-hmm. especially some of the more you know denser metal that we listen to you know especially in the stuff and like doomy stuff or you know black stuff like it's just a lot of layers and a lot of stuff that just maybe is a little more than just like a, like the, it's not going to catch you the first time although this album definitely did and it definitely held up for me too i uh it makes me feel things when i listen to it as well as just being super damn catchy yeah, I mean, the, the the earworm factor is certainly there, but it just felt like such a revelation for me because this was the first time in a very long time that I felt like a metal band. I know it's mainly a Moan Man uh, project, but I'll just say band for the sake of the conversation. Since a metal band felt like they had, they really had something to say, mm-hmm. or they had like a, they had a like genuinely like, revolutionary idea within the genre as opposed to an evolutionary idea you know oh this band made a very good you know revocation made a very good um thrash death album it's excellent but you listen to it and it's like there's nothing here that's really new or and that's not to say it's bad or unlistenable but when you look at what zeal and ardor did in terms of the concept of the music the concept of the kind of the the narrative and the lyrical content and the statement that the the music makes about heavy metal about american music about american history like there's so much to it that all of a sudden everything else even other metal albums that came out this year that i love they just seem shallow (laughs) do you know what i mean yeah yeah it's uh yeah yeah. i feel that way I sort of, I, I had, there's one other album that I had to bring up just because I listened to it probably a similar amount and it is, you know, more along the lines of, said, it's an evolutionary thing that it's so, I said before, um, I have since come to learn that they pronounced their name Haken, not Haken, which is fine, whatever. Um, <laughs> they brought out an album at the end of the year called Vector, which I listened to a ton and, you know, they're a progressive metal band that really, I think took took up the sort of mantle that like in the sort of like really noodly proggy you know like straight up prog prog metal traditional progressive metal that like dream theater dropped probably 20 years ago Mm -hmm. or 15 years ago maybe and said like we're gonna do like we were what dream theater should be doing today they incorporate (laughs) a lot of different styles of things there you know there's sections that are just like jazzy there's sections that are like electronic-y and you know i when i saw them live i was even more impressed because they just did a really good show and uh also just some really damn catchy songs so which is not always something you hear in prog um so i really really would that was like almost eked out cna for me just as just because like you know but once again you know just the the revolutionary aspect of cna is what kind of pushed him over into the lead but as far as just like what checks boxes for me and what really I really enjoy listening to and something that I've been missing for a while I realized that like man I haven't had like like a traditional not harsh 
like between the barrier and me or an opeth or some, well, not opeth anymore but you know what i mean like <laughs> something like that come out that's like man like unabashed synth keyboards and 10 minute guitar solos and make it feel like fresh and new and and good hmm. so that's something i feel like i was like oh yeah i love this i forgot i just i've been listening to the same five albums for the past three years because nothing no one's brought out anything good so yeah um i you know i I'm slowly working through. Actually, this is the time of year where I tend to catch up on 2018 music because I usually mm-hmm. just trawl best of lists and just add a bunch of stuff to playlists and just go through it. Um, so that's what I actually I'm always a little late. I'm usually like a year behind on the music scene besides bands that, you know, I'm really looking forward to. <laughs> so I have the same I have the same the same thing. It's how I discover things, because um well, Apple Music does a pretty good job of understanding my taste and giving me new stuff that I'll probably like. I do have to look at those best of lists to, you know, catch the things I missed. Yeah. And there's so many good, like you just sometimes forget, like I look at one list and then be nothing on the next list. Like a lot of the movies or TV shows or whatever. It's like, ah, it's all, you know, 70% the same across yeah. different blogs. But when it comes to metal music, it's like there's a top 20 list and there's a different top 20 list and they don't have any of the same bands on. Right. It's just like, okay, right. there's a lot of stuff out there to, to uh, consume. So. All right. Well, shall we talk about games? Well, I mean, we could talk about games, but I mean, do you have much to say about video games this year? Because, um, I mean, I have I have good things to say about God of War, but I'm not going to say anything about God of War that other people haven't said about God of War in other year end lists. Well, so you said game. Mm-hmm. You didn't say video game. Oh, I see. So you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get a lawyer <laughs> on me here. Uh, no, I and this actually didn't come out in 2018, so it's even more of a cheat. But it's just, it's new to me in 2018. Sure. So I probably actually, if you if you look at the pure hours the past couple months, I probably have been putting more t- and maybe not including internal because that doesn't count. Cause that's just <laughs> an addiction at this point. Um, I probably have played more board games than I've played video games. I've got huh. a pretty good group that meets every week or two and we play games and then, you know, on the weekends, we try and squeeze one in here or there. Um, so I, one of our big games is Terraforming Mars, which has brought out two new expansions in the past couple of months, but I won't, those are good. But what really has captured me is a game called Spirit Island. Uh, Spirit Island is a, what's called in the biz, a Euro style uh, board game, which basically means like economy engine building sort of you know lots of uh making decisions about investing in you know this production or that production and these kind of things um but the kicker about it is that it's cooperative which there's plenty of cooperative board games out there but oftentimes the problem with cooperative board games like a game like pandemic or uh forbidden island or forbidden desert is that they they tend to sometimes turn into by cooperative, I mean one guy sits at the table and tells everyone else what to do <laughs> because they're fairly straightforward usually. Now, Spirit Island solves this by being pretty complex, and you're going to like the the setup, Greg. So it's basically the reverse of every other Euro-style like board game. Instead of settling, you know, a place and being making, you know, making colonies and taming the land, you play as the spirits of an island that's being conquered by invaders and you're defending the native peoples against uh those damn dirty imperialists. Ooh, so it's anti-colonial. It's anti-colonial. So you play mm. as like 
and they have the, the flavor is awesome. So it's like you play as the spirits that represent different parts of like nature, things like that. So you play like as the ocean or the jungle or, you know, fire and shadow or like nightmares. But they have like awesome names like uh, the o- ocean's name is like uh, Ocean's Hungry Grasp or like Rampant growth of green is like the jungle and they're pretty cool art and pretty cool story. So it's pretty brutal. And, uh, yeah. So you play a cooperative team and, and you work to repel the invaders and defend the, uh, the native peoples called the Dahan. And, um, it's hard as hell. Like, I mean, there's like, you can scale up the game doing different things. You can kind of, it's got a lot of replayability cause you can add on, different opponents and change up some of the rules to make it a little harder so there's like 12 levels of difficulty and we're like we sometimes struggle to beat level like two or three huh. so uh but it's you know it's intense it, it's 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 definitely a heavier in the business you know heavier complexity uh weight board game but it is a lot of fun and my friends and i just always want to play it so if you like board games and you like heavier you know it's it's a long game it's probably like three hours you know depending uh it's a lot of fun. There's a lot to learn and it's a good way to, it's good. It's a good way to see who can actually work in a team. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I've been playing that. Huh. The world of board games based on what you tell me, like just continues to surprise me with the level of ingenuity and interesting ideas that I hear about. Um, however, yeah, and, and this was like a, a pretty amateur game. Actually, it was like a Kickstarter game that a guy just developed by himself, which is pretty uncommon nowadays. I mean, usually there's like, a a developer behind most board games like Mm -hmm. a a main guy but usually part of a much larger company and nowadays you have these really intensive i mean a lot of it's proprietary but you know intensive computer algorithms that help to run through games a million times to make sure they're balanced and tweak numbers where you know back in the day used to be play testing right Mm -hmm. but you know at the end of the day you can kind of break these games down into numbers if you try hard enough and that's what helps so they can make you can make really you know interesting games that are more complex than they used to be because balancing them is a little bit easier. So it is a new, it is a crazy world. I'm still kind of dipping my toes in it, but, uh, it's also like a, a world on the rise. A lot of people are, you know, just like D and D's kind of come back. Traditional board gaming has really come back to a lot. I know a lot of people are, you know, who traditionally may not be con- like into nerdy stuff or are kind of getting into it. Cause it's mm-hmm. just like, it's a good way to, it's a good activity to sit around with friends. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's a good way to be together doing something together that's not watching a movie or inevitably someone putting out their phone and starting the phone chain or, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's also a thing that's per- fairly cost effective. You know, you, you pay 50 bucks for a game and then you have it and you can yeah. play it a lot as opposed to having to. Uh, and that was all these, you know, bars and breweries and things that are so open and just, yeah, bring whatever you want and play. So people will bring them to those places and just sit around and play games in the middle of the brewery. And like, that's kind of thing is, is it's hmm. pretty fun. So yeah. Uh, yeah. So I move on to TV. Let's talk about television. Well, we also overlapped here, Greg. What's that? We also overlapped on our, what we think is our favorite. Oh yes, we did. Um, I think the best thing that was on TV this year was Big Mouth season two. And I, and, and you seem to, you, you have it on your list as well. Um, I feel like I talked about this uh, the last time we we recorded, but we watched it again um, because our friends our friends from uh, Jersey City come to visit us for New Year's, and inevitably when they come to visit us, one of the things we do is we usually just kind of marathon a Netflix show together. Mm-hmm. So we watched Big Mouth season two because one of the previous times they were up, we watched Big Mouth season one together, and so we watched it again. 
and that might have been my third watch wow. of the show. Um, I mean, I'm not sitting down and paying, you know, laser focus attention to every minute of it during these, but you know, you're absorbing it. And I'm going to come back to it later on in this conversation when we talk about one of the other categories. So I'm not going to say everything I want to say about Big Mouth season two right now, but just on a kind of technical, just like having really cool ideas and going with them and fully realizing the world that they're building out of Big Mouth and not just the um, how they're kind of expanding the supernatural element, the magical realism element, I guess, of the hormone monsters and the various other monster type entities that exist in the alternate dimension, um, but just building out the the lives of the secondary characters and the way that almost every character that gets anything more than just a line or two, you know, the characters that they get a little bit more developed, like they all have an arc, but even the characters who are like the butt of a joke, like, um, Jay's dad, um, there's a point like that, that character is there to demonstrate something to represent an idea. Um, and a show like this could easily have gone the lazy route of, you know, just leaning into the gross out humor and leading, leaning into Maury, the hormone monster, and, you know, just having it kind of be like, ah, can you believe we're making our preteen characters do this gross thing now? But instead, in season two, they were like, no, we're going to lean harder into, like, our point of view. Um and we're going to, you know, we're going to flesh out our characters rather than do what, again, a lot of shows do is they sand the character down to the point where they're nothing but their catchphrases and you just let the let the machine run forever. Like the Big Bang Theory, like instead they're just like they're getting better. They're they're working harder. They're they're making things deeper and more interesting. I like it's a, it's fantastic. Yeah. And it's got jokes. It's got jokes. It's got so many jokes. Yeah. Joke density is high in that in that show, for sure. Um, I also had to... Uh, I agree with all of that. I have been running, wanting to do a rewatch. Um, I really can't get a lot of my friends on board. I think just... I don't know. I think, they may, I think the concept makes them feel uncomfortable, and they only watch the first episode or two, and they're like, oh, I don't know, and just like... So I just got to like get push it, push through it, because I think they would all <laughs> enjoy it. But um, I also had to put down that, you know, I like to pick like a not comedy is a show that I really liked. And I kind of struggled because, you know, I, uh, I kind of was expecting Daredevil season three to not be like amazing just because all the other ones have not been amazing mm-hmm. for the most part, but I really, really liked it. Uh, but I also really liked Ultra Carbon. So not a perfect show, but I just like that, uh, they really, it had a certain charm to it of just like embracing that it's a little campy and that it's, they've spent a lot of money on it. Cause it looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, Word on the street, it's the most expensive show Netflix has ever made. Uh, maybe even only second until something like Game of Thrones. But um, it had a really good concept that I still think about. Like you said about Heredity, I still think about the the sort of sci-fi jumping off point a lot. And I just like it was it was a fun ride when I as I watched it. So it had a little bit of that. It brought me back a little bit to when I first watched um, like Battlestar Galactica or Firefly. I've just that like oh like sci-fi shows are cool, and <laughs> it, it reminded me of that because there hasn't been. A lot that I've gotten into recently. I feel like you've talked about that almost every time we've recorded. So I feel like I finally need to break down and, and give that show a try. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's not it's not perfect, but and it's got some like 
Well, I don't know. I, I think that like it's problematic elements are like kind of the point, but mm. you know, it's just like if you could use a body as just a body, what does that do to bodies? Sure. And what would people use those bodies for? Uh, yeah. So that can lead to some, you know, uncomfortable things. But I think, like I said, that's kind of the point. Uh, but yeah, so I don't know. They said they were going to be making a second season because it's based on a book series that has multiple books. But the uh, I guess there was some confusion because one of the points is that, like, your body is just a body and your brain is in a little disc and the, you know, I won't spoil what happens, but the body of the main character in the first season is not available any longer. So are they going to like recast? It'd be a kind huh. of interesting idea to have like a different actor playing the same character. Yeah. You know, I'm sure it's not the first one that's been done, but especially not in the context of like something like a Spartacus situation where like the actor dies. But like, right. I mean, more like in universe, like you are There's playing some kind a, of body swap scenario, like a permanent body swap scenario. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I hope that they do pursue that. I think that'd be a, a cool, uh, a cool, um, uh, sort of like thing to deal with in, in a sort of mechanical way. But also I'd like to see a studio, like a lot of studios don't want to do that because you don't want to lose, you know, your, your leading, mm-hmm. your leading actor. So I think it would be a commitment to the, the idea and the genre to actually commit to it. Hmm. So shall we go to books? Category number five <clears throat> books. And so we're cheating a little bit here because I don't know about you, but I can't like read current books. I don't know how that works. This is the um, first time I've read a, a 2018. I think I read two 2018, three 2018 <laughs> releases this year. I think wow. I did, which is pretty crazy. But as I pick up more series that I like that are still ongoing, I guess that'll increase. But generally speaking, you know, you're kind of reading books that are maybe a couple years old, maybe many years old. Yeah, it's it's hard to keep up. It, it's I think the last time I read a book that was like it just came out was the last song of ice and fire book because it was like gotta read it before everybody spoils it Mm -hmm. but i don't know i'm not really on the internet the same way i used to be and it's not like i hang out on forums where like when the new mistborn book comes out somebody's gonna spoil it for me right um so so what did you read in 2018 that was a 2018 thing i read um the things i read in 2018 that were our 2018 things i read um skyward which was brandon sanderson's uh you know sci-fi book his first like sci-fi book uh starts as i think it's i think it's technically a ya imprint although once again it's sort of with the reckoners it sort of um straddles he does a good job of like writing at a level that a young adult can read mm-hmm. but the content and the story doesn't feel and it may follow a younger person but doesn't feel right. young adult in the same way that like the hunger games or harry potter tends sure. to um just because he's got a pretty simple writing style overall like a low word count i guess you'd say if you're actually looking for like reading level you know from a pedagogical standpoint having just gotten through way of kings i it's not a low word count (laughs) Um, well sorry like unique word count i guess you'd say i I think he has his his writing style is um pretty simple and and minimalist in the in you know just the way he puts a sentence together and his he 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 tends not to use um obscure or complex words Mm -hmm. um you know, it, 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 he has a very readable style, I guess, would be the way to say it. Yeah. And I always find that when I'm going back to like, obviously jumping back and forth between him and China Miaville was like, who like yes. night and day. Yes. And even someone like Robin Hobb right now, I had to go and like had to take a breath. Like, OK, I need to slow down a little bit because I can just read Sanderson a lot faster because it's easier yes. to read. Yes. Um, just mechanically. So um, 
uh, I read the the collection of short stories he did called Legion, uh, the life of uh, Stephen Leeds, or the lives of Stephen Leeds, I should say, um, which I'll come back to. And then I also read uh, Dark Age, which was the fourth Red Rising book that came out like early this year, like maybe January, February. Um, so I would pick two here to cheat. My favorite book that I read in 2018, like regardless of whether it came out in 2018, was... I think I'm going to say Purdue Street Station. Yes, I got you. You I got, got me. you. You got me. Yes. After uh, all these after all these years of you converting me to your high fantasy nonsense, <laughs> I got you on some weird leftist shit. Yeah. Ah. I mean, I almost said the scar because that was also really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think like from a overall concept, I like that book more. But sure. I think just from a reading experience and the impact it had on me and what I still think about, I think about Purdue Street Station just because the end is real brutal and it's affected me in that sort of way you described horror in some ways. <laughs> um, and I just really got a good, like I felt the, char- the characters of the three books I read by him, they were the most relatable in this book. That's fair. That's fair. Because, you know, the main, I don't remember his name. Uh, Isaac? Yeah, Isaac's like kind of a dumpy dude, just like, mm-hmm. you know, he's smart, but like he's just like a regular guy. And I kind of feel like I have to know him a little bit. And, uh, you know, Lynn, you know, even though she's a Beatle person, like you got you feel like you get it a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, I liked the intersplicing with the um, Garuda character, the the Birdman. Um, right now, I'm just going to think of Birdman whenever I that's not good. <laughs> um So I and I just felt that like it was just it was also like a little bit more of like a straightforward story once it got rolling like yeah crazy monsters kill crazy monsters or run from crazy monsters right save so, the, save the city from the from the vampires right and basically. then the corruption is playing out in the background um, um yeah and i would say i i think you're right i think that the the cast of pretty to street station of the three uh bass lag novels they're the most approachable as characters mm-hmm. they're the most relatable the most likable um the characters in the scar and in iron council are a little more remote and removed and like you don't really feel like you'd like to hang out with them yeah and i just don't feel like they did, had a lot of character at all they're like they almost yeah. just seem like pawns in the story yep yep i, I mean, can see that when you uh in the scar when you got the perspective of uh wow i'm blanking on names tonight the vampire pirate lord like oh the the Brukalak. The Brukalak. I was like, yeah, give me more of that, please. Like, I'll follow this guy. I'll read a whole book about that guy. But, um, but yeah, so I think we're going to stick that. But I'll say that my for an actual 2018 release, and I guess this is kind of cheating because it's a collection of previously released novellas yeah, or it but books, whatever. Man. Um, I'm going to say Legion, which is, you know, I said the, the many lives of Stephen Leeds, which is his uh, Sanderson doing something a little different. It's not Cosmere. It's not, I mean, I guess it's got a, a, a sort of magical realism element to it in that there's stuff that does stuff that can't happen in our world but it's kind of like his take on Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. where it's a guy who's schizophrenic but also a genius and his his genius is more or less the cause of his schizophrenia because it's just he's just so smart that he can't contain all the knowledge in his head so he has to create what he calls aspects that are fully realized hallucinations uh, that then embody that piece of knowledge. So he's out solving a mystery and he realizes that he needs to, um, or he's, he's going to solve a mystery and he realizes he needs to uh, learn a new language and another skill and he'll kind of peruse some books, scout the internet a little bit, uh, speed read some stuff, and then he makes 
a brand new person that he only he can see that hmm. uh, is, you know, knows those things. And he has to talk to them to, like, get the information. He himself is not like he himself, quote unquote, is not that smart. And he says it like I'm just a regular guy. It's my aspects who are smart. And he hmm. knows they're all fake. And most of them know they're fake. And so it's not a multiple personality. He's no. I mean, he, in, in the he, he argues about that sense. in the book. Like these, like these aren't, he's like, I mean, he's like, I guess you could say they are personal because they all come from me, but they are fully realized individuals with their own wants and desires. And, you know, there's stuff that sort of happens that, you know, and it's really funny because like he has to maintain the illusion, even though he knows it's fake. So like if he's going on a mission or a mystery, he has to take a plane. He buys five seats because mm. he needs them to be able to sit there without people walking through them and stuff. Cause it messes with his brain and, bad things happen hmm. so it's it's three novellas um short stories or whatever that are you know kind of tell a sequence of, of mysteries and the last one is a little more uh like a little more into like him and kind of a conclusion i think this is all it's going to be written i don't think it's going to be an ongoing series and um it was just like a really cool idea and you know that's something sanderson does well is taking an idea and then like extrapolating on it and you know making it interesting and uh you know he ends up ha- he has about 50 aspects he was in a big mansion with him because he's rich because he solves crazy mysteries. <laughs> and some of his mysteries involve things like a camera that can take pictures of the past. And hmm. uh, I forget the other one that was there, but like, oh, like a teleporting cat and things like that. That like so it's like it takes place in our world and it's all our world stuff. But uh, yeah, it's also very funny. It's very, you know, it's very quick and quippy in the way, you know, that is reminiscent of maybe like a. I don't know, like a Joss Whedon or something like that, where like it's, you know, he's always surrounded by four or five characters in his head who are always just like commentating on what's going on and managing those personalities and those aspects. It's it's, it's pretty fun. So I think it would be very, very well adapted to a television or movie because you would do so much cool stuff visually with him seeing people who aren't in the room and other people aren't. I just, and I know he said he's like in the works, but yeah, that does sound very, would be very easy to adapt, especially that, that, that has the Netflix limited series written all over it because the amount of guest stars you could bring in to play his different imaginary friends that could pop in and out like, um, yeah, the one character is like definitely supposed to be Morgan Freeman because it's like he's been his aspect the longest. He's an older African-American gentleman and he has all this like general knowledge of like the world and history. Mm. And when he starts to kind of lose it a little bit, he always has that aspect, like talk to him and like tell him like, oh, this, you know, this beautiful crocus over here is, you know, from this line of thing that if you actually look at it and like kind of like calms him down, you can just see that like. Yeah, you're thinking it's Morgan Freeman, right? <laughs> now, I don't know if Netflix is going to get Morgan Freeman to play him. But but yeah, so that was something that came out this year that I, I really, really enjoyed. Uh, and I would recommend because it's I would recommend that to anyone, people who not even people who are into like sci-fi and fantasy, because it's very, you know, it's not that in the way yeah. that these other books are. So about you, Greg, what was your favorite book you read in 2018? Um, So this was Joe Abercrombie's Best Served, Best Served Cold, which is one of his three non-trilogy trilogy follow-up to the first law trilogy because it's three books that all take place after the first law trilogy but they're not themselves a formal trilogy whatever um <laughs> but it's it's the first book i think both chronologically in the timeline of his little universe and also the first of those three that was released i think it takes place after first law but yeah right yeah um and um, I really feel like this was 
kind of peak Joe Abercrombie, not to say that he's peaked, but I feel like this, this book is like almost like a perfect distillation of what he does and does well. Um, I thought all of the characters were just the perfect amount of like compelling, but also bastards, <laughs> which is, that's what you want from Joe Abercrombie. But these, you know, this was, they were all, um, you know, right there. Um, the plot itself was, I mean, the way it keeps you guessing, um, you know, what the end game is going to be, trying to suss out the different characters' motivations, even as they're like the point of view character, trying to figure out what their motivation is and what this is all leading to. And then the the climax is so good. Um it's 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 almost to me it was almost comical how good how how well everything slotted in place in this in this story um uh for the climax i thought it was just really really well done i don't know that this book really moved me or made me think or feel about things differently but i'm not necessarily sure any book i read in 2018 really checked that box mm. um i did a lot of I guess what I would call popcorn reading this year, which, um, but this was just to me, just a, a, you know, this book knew what it wanted to be. And it just did an A plus job at being that book. Um, do you agree that it's, it's a lot of people call it like Joe Abercrombie doing like a Quentin Tarantino movie in book form? Um, you're asking that as somebody who doesn't really love Quentin Tarantino. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I think it's better than Quentin Tarantino because, I, I it, it is what Quentin Tarantino wants to do, but Quentin Tarantino has a, has a, has, has never really made his characters all that likable, mm. um, or relatable. They're interesting. They're cool, but they're not, they're not human or, uh, sympathetic the way that Abercrombie's characters are. Um, yeah. I mean that, that story, the, the, the sort of the character arc of, and he, that actually plays out the next a little bit in the next two books too, but the character arc of Carl Shivers is something else. Yes, and you know he's a monster. Yeah, but you, but but and Abercrombie has a great skill at this of taking characters who are monsters and making you empathize with them and sympathize with them and kind of root for them, not necessarily for their monstrous goals, but you root for them to. You want, you want what's best for them, even though they're, 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 they're bad people. Yeah. Um, whereas in Quentin Tarantino movies, more often than not, it's, I'm waiting for this person to say something cool or die in a cool way. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I see where the comparison is drawn, but I think, um, I think that the comparison makes best served cold look worse, uh, when you, when you compare it to Tarantino. Yeah. And I, uh. I like that book a lot. I probably like the heroes slightly better. Um, but I also think that just for listeners out there that like Best of Cold is definitely a book you could just pay. You wouldn't have to re- have read the first Law Trilogy to read it if it's something that sounds of interest to you. I mean, there's some context that you might miss here and there, but overall. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I think that's right. I don't think you necessarily need to have read First Law for Best Serve Cold to work. Um I mean, I, I think I think everyone should read the first Law Trilogy because it's fucking great. Yeah. But again, if you just want to read Best Served Cold, I'm not going to stop you. Yeah. I, I just love that, you know, it's just like the weirdest evil D&D party is yeah. really what it is. And it's just like everyone's evil in a different way. Some of them don't realize they're evil. Uh, you know, 
maybe not all of them are, are evil officially, but like pretty damn close. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm cool. Cool. I'm glad that something I recommended you, uh, you liked. Yeah. I tend to us. like the things you recommend. That's true. I have pretty good taste. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I think from here on out, we're going to move away from like specific categories and talk about more uh, like, what do you say, thematic or yeah, yeah, sort of um, just more categories of, of feelings and <laughs> and not just like like the medium. Yeah, right. Not a specific thing we enjoyed, a specific movie or book or whatever, but well, you'll see when we talk about them. So Andrew, your biggest disappointment of 2018. So I'm pretty sad that Sanderson's was a seventh Mistborn book is delayed. Um, the fourth book in the Wax and Wayne Mistborn era two uh, setting because that one is one of my favorites, and I was really looking forward to the conclusion of that story. And it sounds like it's going to get pushed back to maybe later this year, uh, like you know, twenty nineteen, possibly twenty twenty, because he's now started on Stormlight four, and he said he's going to try and quote unquote squeeze this other book in, even though this book will probably also be. I would guess between 600 and 800 pages. <laughs> um, so that's sad to me, but not, I mean, I'm not going to complain because I can never complain about the speed at which Sanderson writes stuff or the uh, candor with which he treats his fans and respect with which he treats his fans of telling them what's going on, why and when. Yeah. He, um, in the, like the title bar on his website, he's got progress bars for the various books he has in progress. Right. So this is how much this guy is like transparent about where he is and is like, I'm 78% on this book. Right. Um, compare that to uh, another famous fantasy writer. Or many famous fantasy authors. Just isn't going to write any more Game of Thrones books. It's just not going to happen. We're done. <laughs> We're done. Uh, this is where it's going to show I'm kind of disappointed that Aquaman performed well. Yeah. Even though I've heard it's not terrible. Sure. And this kind of goes into a different thing. So I'll leave that at that. But uh, I'm just going to put that as, as a start of disappointment, which leads into other things. So um, how about you, Greg? What are your disappointments? I don't know. I kind of went around on a lot of these things because it's tough. Like, I did feel like the Han Solo movie was disappointing, but I also didn't expect much of it. I thought you wrote, I thought when you were saying this, that you were expecting it to be bad and you were disappointed that it was like just okay. <laughs> no, no, it was bad. It was, I mean, it, it was a bad movie. Okay. Um, I, I, I expected it to be bad. It was bad in all the ways I expected it to be bad, but I mean, that's still disappointing because like I, I, I want star Wars to be good. <laughs> yeah. You know? And now this is one more, one more movie in the pile of bad star Wars movies, which is still bigger than the pile of good star Wars movies. Um, so, I'm still not decided on how I feel about Red Dead Redemption 2, um, but I'm not sure if I would put that in the disappointment category yet because I don't know that anything would live up to my expectations based on the role that the first game played at me, played the role the game played for me at the time in my life. You know, we get into nostalgia things there, so putting that one aside. Um, but I think the one thing that I bummed me out the most in 2018, um, even though I know the movie itself came out in 2017, I feel like the kind of opinions haven't don't didn't really crystallize until about um, the spring or summer of 2018. Um, and that was the the fan response to The Last Jedi. Um, it seems to me like what I'm picking up in the atmosphere, not only for the fact that they're bringing JJ Abrams back 
to do episode nine, but also I just, I'm getting a vibe, some kind of psychic transmission that episode nine is kind of going to be an apology for The Last Jedi and that the powers that be basically listened to what a certain segment of the fan base felt about The Last Jedi and have that and the powers that be have decided they're going to go the other way and the things that they're going away from from last jedi are the things that i liked about it um which is that it's it's a rejection of nostalgia it is a um it is in many ways an intentional subversion of your expectations it is a rejection of the idea that the fans own star wars and that Star Wars just has to do what the hive mind wants it to do. Um, I'm not saying that the movie itself was perfect, but um, I just, I feel like the powers that be have accepted that The Last Jedi was a misstep and are going to course correct. And episode nine is going to be a lot more like episode seven. And um, I think that's disappointing, not only because, again, I want Star Wars to do well. I I, I love Star Wars. I mean, I love Star Wars in the way that I love, like, members of my family. I mean, it, it fucks <laughs> up sometimes, but, like, I, I, I love it. I want it to do well. I don't enjoy it all the time. Um, I, I'm, I'm glad that I don't have to see it every Christmas. Every other Christmas is fine. But, um, you know, it's, it's just I want to see Star Wars go in the direction that I like, and I worry that it's going in a different direction. Yeah, uh, that's interesting. I, you know, I agree with what you said. I, you know, I liked a lot of the broader goals of Last Jedi and, and, but also agree it's not a perfect movie, you know, mechanically. And I think that those two things get conflated too easily by a lot of these bad fan reactions, which is similar to some of my, one of my other things later on. But, uh, I, you know, for me, I, I have some of the same worries that you have about episode nine. And unfortunately, I'm the kind of person who likes to view these sort of things as a whole, even though in practicality they're not. But to me, they are because they're, you know, a trilogy that work together and mm. lead into one another. And for me, episode nine is going to determine my overall opinion of episode seven and eight, because right <laughs> now my opinion is pretty on the fence about both of them. I mean, like you said, they're Star Wars. They're not like neither of them are like bad movies in the way that like other things we talk about are bad movies but my opinion as like a deep star wars nerd of them is going to be determined by us because i will view them as a whole hmm. and that's the kind of best way to view movies especially movies made by different directors and all these different things but that's just how my brain tends to, to group things and i actually feel you know we were talking last episode about you know probably the best star wars uh entry in this in the best entry in the star wars series the holiday special and you 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 know talked a little about how you know your view of the ventures into the broader star wars universe that you don't you aren't interested in you just want to be about the skywalkers uh and i actually partially because of both the internal you know just the story reasons but also sort of these external things i'm actually going the opposite direction Hmm. and i want to go do something else completely that's why i'm really excited about like the ryan johnson new trilogy or the you know, guys from Game of Thrones, Star Wars trilogy, because like I just think that the Skywalker stuff, it comes with so much baggage and so much expectations now from the fans and from the companies and from whatever else that like maybe it's just time to look at something else for a little bit and yeah. take a I mean, we had a lot of time between Skywalker stuff. Clearly it didn't stick, but I that's kind of how I'm feeling about it. But I can I mean, I can I'm picking up what you're putting down. I, I mean, at least conceptually, my worry is that so far uh, extended universe 
notwithstanding, so far Star Wars hasn't proved that it can do that it can work without the without the Skywalker saga. True. That is true. Um, so far, I really like they just haven't shown me one that works. Um, uh, and maybe they maybe they'll get it right. Um, but it could also be that now I do think they're getting away from the idea of trilogies altogether for the main numbered saga movies because it really just seems like there's going to be episode nine and then two years later there's going to be episode 10 and they're just going to keep going that they're not going to it's not going to be we're going to do three and then we're going to wait a whole bunch of years reset figure out what we're doing and then come back and do another three um yeah i, I, I don't know is to just keep going so at some point um because unless they unless they do some dumb thing where ray turns out to be a skywalker after all um and i don't think kylo ren's making it out of episode nine i have my doubts i i think they've pretty well heel turned that dude um so i i i feel like they might be finally moving away from the skywalkers the skywalker family and you know the main trilogy will still be you know about jedi and the force and all that but but even then again still so far they haven't made a movie work that didn't have um you know the original cast in some capacity in it so we'll see yeah uh I, you know, they've been kind of, since Solo didn't perform super well, they've been kind of mum on what their plans are when it comes to movies. And I mean, they, people have all these things in the works, but they haven't really given, they're not pulling the Marvel or even the DC where it's like, well, not talking about DC, the Marvel of just like, here's the next 10 years of movies planned out. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of, we're actually kind of a weird spot because for both, you know, Marvel and Star Wars, like after this, after 2019, we don't, we have no idea when what's coming out we have some things ideas of some projects that are in the works things that have been greenlit but or things that have been optioned but we really don't know anything past this year like when when just any sort of release schedule or any ideas so yeah and i i like it i like that i like i like not knowing what the next movie is going to be until i've seen the current movie i think that um one of the biggest mistakes Marvel made was revealing, again, their 10-year plan. Um, I mean, yeah, it made all of us excited for a minute, for 30 seconds to see, what, they're making a Black Panther movie? That's crazy. I guess I'll see it in six years. <laughs> um, but I think that one of the things that is currently hurting expectations about Endgame is, I know there's another Spider-Man movie coming out, like, immediately. I know there's going to be a Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in two years. I've seen the list. I know it's happening. Um, and it just, and it, 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 it it's one of those, uh, I learned a new, you know, uh, criticism word, paratext, which is all the things that surround the actual thing you're looking at, right? So the, the movie I'm watching, the Marvel movie I'm watching is surrounded by a lot of the paratext of the movies that have already been announced that are related to it, that are coming out after it. Mm -hmm. um, and I like a little bit less of that, I think. Yeah, and I think that it sounds like they're going to go that route. It sounds like the master plan might not be quite so. Because I'm going to know about it two years out. Period. Because right. at some point they they know that there is value in building a little bit of hype a year or two early with set photos and casting announcements and, you know, revealing a logo. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine to know that the next Marvel movie is Thor 4. Um, and, but when... 
But then the next next movie is Captain Marvel 2. And then the next next movie is Ant-Man 3. And then the next next movie is... And that's just... Uh, no, thank you. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that makes uh, that makes sense. So I am curious to see how they handle the next... Both, both companies within company uh, handle sort of the next wave of movies that are coming because I think they're both sort of at a crossroads of how to proceed and yeah. uh, be curious to see how what roads they decide to take and if it'll also be interesting to see if they take a similar road since they are similar companies owned by the same company but <laughs> so anyway so we disappointment so what was the biggest surprise for you um, what's what shocked you <laughs> positive surprise <laughs> um I think into the spider-verse was that movie looked good, but yeah. that movie was so much better. Oh, did you go see it? Yeah, I saw oh. it over Christmas break. I haven't seen it yet. I'm, um, I'm I'm being bad. It is. It might be the best Spider-Man movie. Period. Wow. Um, it is so good in almost every way. Um, the voice acting is great. Jake Johnson might be the best Peter Parker um, <laughs> that we've had. Um. The the animation is gorgeous. Um, everything about it stylistically is is great. Um, and it's just, it makes you feel stuff. It it makes you. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a PG Spider Man cartoon, so it's only going to dig so deep on the emotions. But um, it it's got something to say about Spider Man in the concept of Spider-Man and the concept of, you know, heroism that a lot of movies haven't bothered with. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really, really good. <laughs> um, you should see it because yeah. I, now I can't talk more about it because, um, but in, and it does also what it does things that because it's, it's got, it's kind of multiverse, uh, conceit, which I'm not spoiling anything by telling you that. No. Um, that's in the trailers. Um, it surprises you in a way that, like, I felt like, like, I'm done being surprised by comic book movies because I know who all the characters are. You say, the minute you, you mention somebody's name, I'm, I'm looking around, I'm like, oh, I know who that is. Um, but this movie surprises you. Hmm. Um, because it can do things because it's got this multiverse thing like it can it can go take a lot of left turns that you don't see coming because it's new ground um which and because it's also not connected to any broader cinematic universe um the stakes feel a little bit higher because you don't know where they're going with this you know yeah. it's really good it's really really good i will have and to uh, go see it then john Melania's spider ham you can't you <laughs> Tough Can't to go wrong that. there. <laughs> uh, my biggest um, surprise, I was struggling this one. Uh, I originally written down that uh, I was surprised that the new Judas Priest album was actually like pretty good, <laughs> but um, it wasn't good enough to, to be to gloat over. So <laughs> I, my, my biggest surprise is a personal surprise. Uh -huh. And this is pretty recent development in my home life uh -huh. is that it's a little bit of a disappointing surprise in myself is that I'm surprised how much I like Shark Tank. Oh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is going in my disappointment column. <laughs> so Shay and I, around Thanksgiving, we were just, you know, on Hulu. We just or was watching TV at our parents' house. We don't have cable. So sometimes it's just like, oh, yeah, remember cable? That's a thing. Like, let's just browse around. And we, we got stuck after I uh, puked my guts out for Thanksgiving dinner because that, that happened. Attaboy. Um, 
So I uh, was just kind of on the couch, just like, just put something on. <laughs> and we start watching Shark Tank. I'm like, this is actually kind of fun. And then we realize I have it all on Hulu. And then down the rabbit hole, we have gone. And I'm not typically one for reality TV uh, for a lot of reasons. There's some stuff I'll watch that's a little more, you know, and I know what it's doing, but it's like, it's fine. Like, watch like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy. It's like, I know this, what this is. It's fine. It's, it's cool. Oh, okay, whatever. Um, but this, I here's why I like it. A, because it is quote unquote real in that some of these businesses are legitimate businesses that, uh, you know, make it and profit from this exposure. Um, the second reason is because they don't tend to drum up the drama. Like, it's pretty snappy, quick show. They go through like, you know, six or seven deals in an episode and they don't like, here's the backstory for every character and we're going to go into why you need to cry about right. them and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, nope. And like, you know. They don't they don't cut to commercials 18 times during each pitch and have the sharks fighting over every person and, you know, uh, cut, you know, replay. It's just the, the typical things that every reality TV show does that I absolutely hate, even concepts that I, I enjoy, like watching more of the uh, like Shay's kind of in it, like, you know, like the house hunters and things like that. And I'll watch them with her because I like homes and redecorating homes and things like that, remodeling homes. But the just the way it's structured mechanically is so annoying because you could put it all in five minutes, but they stretch mm-hmm. it out over 20. And that's not, it doesn't feel that way. So that's my biggest surprise is that I have been watching a lot of Shark Tank and I've been enjoying it. Are you judging me, Greg? Let me tell you why I hate Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> and I've seen a fair am- amount of it because Karen enjoys it as well. And you're right. It, it has that almost soothing thing that a lot of like modern quote unquote reality TV has going for it because it's got very predictable rhythms. Um, every show, if you squint at it, every episode is the same. So it's very comforting and calming and you put it on a marathon and go to sleep or recover from a big, a big puke up like you did get it. And I understand it's also interesting because the products are often interesting or laughably weird because they let a couple weirdos through, you know, for to, so that we can make fun of them, I guess. But I don't hate Shark Tank as much as I hate Undercover Boss, but I hate them for similar reasons. And that it is this, they are this gross, like, late capitalist fairy tale <laughs> propaganda. And, like, the entire premise of Shark Tank is normal people who have ideas go and grovel before the gods who don't have ideas but have money and if you grovel before them and sufficiently humiliate and prostrate yourself they will give you the money you want to make your dream real and it's just oh i don't like that i don't like it at all um because and the way that the show kind of deifies the sharks and celebrates their entrepreneurship and genius necessity and um and also the way it presents a lot of the contestants as these are just everyday people who inherited half a million dollars and also have three MBAs like well you don't get three MBAs but you know what I mean um and uh it just it glorifies a lot of the capitalist uh dream the capitalist myth that just really just makes my soul weep so i do not like shark tank i like undercover boss even less 
I don't but. know what that is, but um, well, I, I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, I completely agree that those things are happening. <laughs> they don't work on me or like affect me, so I can just look past it and just talk about like. And I do think I have gotten into like working in a business school and like learning about businessy things. Yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, like I know what some of these words mean, and like I can see how you know. Some of the things they're talking about when they get into a little more complexities, I'm like, oh, I get it. I do. I have come to now I'm obsessively Googling like after every single deal or no deal, what happened to those people and seeing what happened. A lot of the stories are some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Some of them are real depressing. Um, but I've also come to hate how like these people are really fucking greedy. And like, you can tell on some of like the, the Ferber deals where people actually put up a fight and but it's a good it's a good idea they want and how low they'll go. And then you watch some other dealer like, yeah, 60 percent. Just give me everything. And people are like, OK. And like, you know, you kind of can kind of see that, like, these people are not like good people help, yeah. you know, helping people out. But um, yeah, so it's uh, I get what you're saying. Um, and if I was if I was a different I can see how you can see how it's influencing culture in a negative way. But yeah. So, OK, that's fine. <laughs> Anyway, on to something more positive. So, Greg, you wrote in here, you want to talk about trends that you find hopeful and trends that you find worrisome. Why don't we start with worrisome? Why don't we do bad news first? Okay. So, um, yeah, you go You go first. I'll go first. So, one thing that I, and these things are similar, but they're unrelated in this context, is that I, and this is, this is almost purely surrounding Black Panther. And I want to be clear here that I liked Black Panther, uh-huh. and I like what Black Panther stands for. And uh-huh. I think it is a important movie for There's a lot a of reasons. Coming. But <laughs> what I've seen is, you know, when you look at things like Rotten Tomatoes or when you look at best of lists and I see Black Panther showing up a lot. And like I said, I like the movie. I think it is a, it's a, you know, I even say it's a good movie. I don't think it's a great movie. I don't think it's an amazing movie. I actually think it's one of the weaker Marvel movies of recent time. And I, so my trend here that I find is confusing, important for like good in sort of like a, if there is like an objective sort of mechanical sense. And in that, like the CGI in Black Panther is real shitty at the end. And the last third act is a little confusing for me about like, why am I... Like, and in some ways it's good, but in some ways I just think it's, like, structurally bad. Like, I, to see that placed above other movies in best of lists when it comes to quality, it just seems, to me, it's dangerous because it opens a door uh, for bad people to say bad things about such movie and what it means to people because it is in a very important movie. And what I mean, what I mean by that is that They'll say, like, you know, bad people who are trying to push their bad views can exploit weaknesses in the movie itself in order to try and exploit, in their mind, weaknesses in certain ideologies or cultures or points of view. Does that make sense? Yeah, although I think it's difficult to separate, again, I'm using my big my big criticism words, the paratext of the cultural context that makes this makes a movie important um, from the mechanical things that might make it good. Because I think a movie can mechanically can have mechanical flaws 
but still be great. And for me, that comes down to what makes a movie great isn't isn't its mechanics. It is what the movie sets out to do and um, how the movie makes me feel. Um, and so thus, I have to give other people that right to consider how the movie makes them feel in um, in whether or not it's great. Um, so I think in the, in the, in for Black Panther that, um, I know I can't separate the, the importance of it being the first, you know, black Marvel movie and not only, you know, um, but to be, you know, really capital B black and mm-hmm. embrace blackness. Um, that's not going to re- the, the, the impact of that isn't going to resonate with me as a white dude. Um, but that impact is going to clearly did resonate with other people and elevated their impression of the movie. But I don't think I can say that when they went, when they're giving their evaluation of the movie as a whole, that they have to pull that out, that they have to pull that, that part of the experience out of their evaluation of the movie. Because, um, for example, like when I talk a lot about, you know, big mouth season two is, um, there are moments in that where the the experience that those you know teenage characters or preteen characters are going through is the first time I have felt seen or felt represented in that way, mm-hmm. and I so I can't divorce when I evaluate is Big Mouth too good? I can't pull away that feeling I have. That's one of the things it makes me feel. So I can't pull that out. So I do see what you're saying. But I think it comes down to evaluating important and kind of impactful culturally or socially. Is it possible to separate that out from your overall evaluation of something as good or bad? I don't know. Well, and I think that's and I I wasn't implying that people need to do that or they should feel obligated to do that. Like that's the opposite of what people should do when embracing and engaging with like media and culture, I think. And that's why I think it's always, you know, I try and frame things like. You know, like you say, not a perfect movie, but I really liked it or not. You know, like just like I, I sort of feel like there's this thing when you get caught up in the wave of like the praise for a movie like this. And then if I if I, I feel like sometimes and, you know, this is a different direction. But to say, like, if I criticize something about it, then people are like, mm, is that guy a racist? And she's like, no, I just like, I, you know. I love this movie is capital B black. And like, it did make me feel things. Cause I'm just like, I try to be really empathetic towards, you know, uh, you know, oppressed groups and, you know, I, I could see in the crowd I was with at the movie theater that it was like meaning a lot. And that, that means a lot to me. Uh, but I just don't ever want to, I don't know. I, I just, I worry more about the potential harm done, uh, as I explained earlier than, actually right. just like getting mad they're like well i think infinity war is better like i don't care that much about it but <laughs> um even though I, I do think infinity war is a better movie but uh structurally but i've seen it in some other things too where and i was worried that's actually i was worried that like you know back to go back to Zion order like do i actually you know that's why we're visiting at least that was important like do i actually really think this music is awesome or is it just really important and the answer is it's awesome and important and I just want to make sure that we I think there's conflating those two can be can be a worrisome trend because it, it allows it to be extra diligent in some of these things sometimes where we shouldn't have to be. Right. I, th- I think we have to be even though we shouldn't have to be. But I have one more worrisome trend. Yes. Um, which is not related because I think that Black Panther is a good movie and deserves to make a lot of money. But 
This year, and this isn't a new trend by any stretch, but this year in particular, there are movies that made a lot of money that, granted, I did not see, but I'm assuming <laughs> are very bad or not that good. Give me an example. Venom. Sure. And Aquaman, potentially. Sure. And I just, it makes me worry because I get excited for some reason when movies I really like are very successful financially, which shouldn't be a thing I get excited about, but it is for some reason. And it's a benchmark of quality, right? Like people oftentimes put that out there as like, oh, it made a billion dollars. And it's like, yeah, but Venom almost made a billion dollars. So it, it starts to undermine my view of like, you know, oh, well, like if that made a billion dollars, like what, yeah. what are people and why are people and like, is it just, and it starts to say, is it just the appeal to these characters brand and things that are really drawing people to watch these movies and they don't really actually and part of it's just like a, a realization of just that greg i got some i got some news for you mm -hmm. not everyone enjoys stuff the same way that i do <laughs> turns out um not news but uh that realization is very strong that like because for a while there, bad movies weren't making a lot of money, and I was enjoying it. Like, the Transformers movies were making money, but they weren't making as much money as, like, actually as, right, good. as they needed to. Right. And that and was, like, my, like, this is my, this is definitive proof that, like, you know, in this sort of space, that, like, if you make a good movie that's all, you can make a good blockbuster and you will be, you will profit from it. Therefore, there is a, uh, you know, there is a, a market need for good, good movies. Right. It right? shows you the system works, right? right. It is, it is... Um, it's one of those things where good movies should make a lot of money, which means that the movie studios will, will then try to duplicate that success and make more good movies. Right. System works. Um, but then occasionally, like for example, the mummy, uh, <laughs> from 2017, which I watched on HBO, uh, oh boy, it's a, it's a thing. You should watch it. Um, it I is, want to. Yeah, man, it's, it is. It's enjoyable. Have something else to do while you watch it, but, you know, get some laundry, fold some laundry, catch up on some emails or whatever, but, like, watch that movie because it's a fucking trip. Um, anyway, um, that movie bombed, rightly so. It was bad um, and took the entire stupid Dark Universe franchise with it. Great. Um, but sometimes the system doesn't work. <laughs> And the worst candidate gets the nomination and the worst candidate wins the election. It's <laughs> true. Sometimes the system doesn't work. Um, and Venom makes a lot of money. And what worries me about it, and I, I think it's the same thing that worries you, is that like, I don't really, I'm not like offended, like I'm not clutching my pearls because, oh, our culture, it's slipping away. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just that like, well, shit. They're going to look at Venom because now people over at, I guess, Sony are going to look at that success and they're going to say, what did we do right here? What made us money? And then they're going to say, hey, could we like take some of that Venom stank and like rub it on the next uh, Spider-Man cartoon or something? Mm -hmm. And now the success of Venom is making the things I like more like Venom. And I don't want that. Although I haven't seen Venom, but I have a good idea. Um so that's more what I would be, I'm worried about with it because it's, um, the lessons that Hollywood chooses to learn from any success or failure are what worry me the most. 
yes and that is one thing so that's why i've i've kind of put aquaman like three times in in my <laughs> starts them because like I, said, I haven't seen it yet i've you know talked to some people's opinions i trust and said you know what it's okay it's not good but it's fine and in the way that like a movie like they a lot of people equate it to like remember superhero movies in the early 2000s that's kind of what it's like and so i had that as a disappointment because it along these lines it making a lot of money tells dc that like oh man we just need to double down on the ooh yeahs and the you know which you know jason Moe seems like a really nice guy i don't want to belittle him but you know this interpretation of aquaman seems weird as we discussed a hundred times yes but at the same time in my hopeful trend area i have aquaman saving dc and that maybe just in the way that sort of like justice league was like a tiny, tiny step in a right direction. Maybe Aquaman was another, another tiny step in the right direction. And that maybe if we keep taking tiny steps and they get rewarded, that maybe DC will actually put out something good. I don't, here's, here's, let me, let me, let me, uh, pop my bubble. Yeah. Ah, shit. Um, because here's the thing that you and I are going to have to come to terms with is that whatever comes next Whatever DC's reinvention is, and whatever phase nine or whatever we are, post-Endgame Avengers, we will have crossed the threshold, you and I, and most of the people who are listening to this, where we will no longer be the target audience for these movies. Mm. We are aging out of being the target demo here. So all of the jokes that we find funny, all of the action sequences that we like, those are going to go away, and they're going to be replaced by whatever kids who play Fortnite like. Oh God, is PewDiePie going to become Spider-Man? Just probably, <laughs> probably. So it could be that Aquaman and Venom are doing good because kids today, I don't know. Yeah. And kids today have a different taste and they're allowed to, because that's the whole point of being a kid today is to have different taste than olds. And let me tell you something, man. We're olds. Mm. And by the time, uh, you know, whatever the next Avengers movie after Homecoming is, we're going to be definitely olds. And they're not going to make Avengers movies for olds. They're going to make them for kids, for for teens and 20-somethings. I guess you're going to be our sensibilities they're appealing to anymore, man. Damn. Time is past. Well, thanks for that. You're welcome. But look, Brandon Sanderson's going to keep writing dumb books for us well yeah, into we have the 2040s. So. <laughs> I'll be sitting there resting home like, ooh, still my 10's coming out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Greg, you touched briefly on your hopeful trend in, yeah. in Big Mouth Season 2. Yeah, so I don't know. Big Mouth Season 2 felt like for me that it was um, the start of the next phase in whatever the larger cultural conversation about representation and inclusion is. And I don't know what that looks like, but um, I think that its point of view um, is the start of something new or the leading edge of something new, not the start, you know, because, you know, parallel thought and all that. But um, it's exciting to me because I think that one of the things that... um, that's still kind of in the closet of American culture, maybe Western culture um, in terms of getting a handle on things and just making building a better world is getting a handle on what high school and or puberty does to all of us. And um, that maybe it shouldn't, 
Maybe we shouldn't all come out of this experience horribly scarred and stunted and be for the rest of our lives trying to like make up for high school by like, I don't know, building walls along the southern border. (laughs) Um, So... I just feel like there's something there that is 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 a is a a closet that we are slowly opening up as we've been opening closets for a long time on issues like race and um um you know cisgender homosexuality and transgender issues and like we're gradually opening more closets um and this feels like it's opening a new closet to me um and and a closet that you know has some of my skeletons in it, I guess, to just keep stretching this metaphor as far as I can. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that makes me hopeful that, you know, we're, you know, that there's, um, that there's, they're shining a light on something that, um, we didn't really know we needed to look at. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I definitely feel that, you know, I, looking back at that time of life, and, you know, a part of it is like one door leads to another. If we're going to keep using the closet metaphor, like peeling back how our gender relations work mm-hmm. and, you know, then applying that mold to sexuality and adolescence and even adulthood and just like the harm that, you know, toxic masculinity and those sort of things have on everybody. Yep. And really making these issues about everybody, not belittling the people it hurts worse. Or like to mean, you know, not putting that at parity because it hurts women a lot more uh, and in more, you know, physical and mm. many, many ways. Uh, but just that it is bad for everybody. And I think though that closet opening and making people remember those feelings and why they felt them and realizing that I didn't just feel them because I was a little weirdo. I felt them because of the weird pressures of parents and society and the things we're exposed to makes you realize like, oh, this did harm me. And then it harms someone else even more. Now we have mm-hmm. mutual ground to which to solve it or right. which to try to solve it. And I agree with that completely. And that this thing that we all go through, this thing of puberty and this thing of middle school and high school, um, that the way that we approach them as a society um, makes things really hard for everyone and leaves them with scars. And um, maybe we need to reevaluate the way we look at that and we talk about that and the way we teach our kids and the way we orient our culture around this stuff. Um, yeah. So it's not just about big mouth. It's, it, but to me, I just have a sense that it's, it is starting a conversation that I think needs to be had. Yeah. I think that's fair. So should we, um, should we close out with the things from 2019 that we're, uh, Looking forward to? Yeah. Just kind of some quick hits. I want to briefly go back real quick and just say that I misspoke earlier and said that I read the book Dark Age, the Pierce Brown Red Rising book Dark Age. I lied. I read Iron Gold. Dark Age comes out this year. For those of you keeping score at home. Yeah. I just want to make sure. And I also want to make sure you adjust your books Andrew has read. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Your your scoreboard and, you know, for your own edification. I also want to put (laughs) one more thing in the disappointment category. Also, things that happened was the death of MoviePass was pretty. The rise and fall of MoviePass was a fun, a fun ride. Fuck MoviePass. But I have to say, I really miss it because it was really nice to just be like, I'm going to go see a movie and I don't care if it's good or not. Like in like not have to do the calculation of like is this worth it to me is this worth it to me like you know it's a lot of whatever and i do miss that freedom because now i like i haven't i feel like i haven't gone to the movie since and that's not yeah, where i want to be me too. so it's uh not fun so anyway uh movie pass if you could i don't I don't, want, I don't want you to exist but can someone else like you 
do it better and, and we'll, make we'll it happen. We'll get something next year. Next year, every major th- by the, by this point next year, every major theater th- chain will have a movie pass type subscription plan. Yeah, you're probably right. So for 2019, I'm looking forward to. I mean, there's a bunch of really cool stuff happening this year. I am really. I'm one thing I'm curious to. I don't know if I'm looking forward to it per se. Is just like the shakeout of the Disney Fox deal and what happens with Disney Plus and how that impacts Hulu yeah, and all that madness uh, and you know, the Netflix shows that got canceled, the Marvel Netflix shows and all that sort of stuff. Um, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I hope it plays out in our benefit. I don't know even know what that is anymore, but I hope it does. Um, I guess in this context of this podcast is more good genre media being put out by those companies, but um, I don't know if that's good for the world, but who cares? Uh, world's kind of fucked anyway. Um, specific things... I think the Wheel of Time show is supposed to come out next year. Like maybe by the end. And who's maybe not making quite. That again? It's it's gonna be on Amazon. Okay. Um, and they're putting a lot of money into it. And Sanderson seems really excited about it. So, and the guy they have, the showrunner, he seems to really like the Wheel of Time. So, I guess it'll just come down to budget and all that sort of stuff. But but it's coming out. You say it's coming out in 2019, but we haven't. Do we know anything about casting or? And it might not be. If it's 2019, it's going to be the very end of 2019. Okay. So it might not quite be 2019. But even just more news about that and that sure. coming out. Because I don't think it has. They're like writing and the scripts are done and that kind of stuff. At but, the very least, you'll get a trailer. Right. So that'd be cool. What is coming out in 2019 is The Witcher, which I'm interested in. Yeah, that could be okay. It could be. I'm just excited for more fantasy. Like, I haven't watched a lot of fantasy. And that's something that I, I'm excited for. Fair. Fair. Because everything's been superheroes or sci-fi, which don't get me wrong, is cool. But speaking of fantasy and and watching more of it, or in this case, less of it, I am looking forward to Game of Thrones being over <laughs> and for all of us to be done with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie if I don't say I'm a little excited to see how the story ends, and you know, definitely watch it. But the past two seasons were not good. No, and they were not. I I just I don't have I don't have I just uh, it's become such a thing I just, just feel like I'm in a, yeah. I feel like I'm in an abusive relationship and I don't like it anymore. Oh no I'm I am I am right now I am at the same point with Game of Thrones that I am that I was with Lost back in like <laughs> 06 where I'm just like I just look I I'm. I'm just so ready to be for this to be over. I feel like I have to, because of the sunk cost fallacy. I have to see this stupid thing through. And maybe part of me is still holding out hope that it, you know, manages to manages to steer off the cliff here in the last like two episodes. Like they keep they keep backtracking how long the season's gonna be. It's gonna be twenty minutes long by the time it actually airs. But like I just want to be done. I just want Game of Thrones in my rearview mirror. I've given up hope that the book series is ever gonna be finished. I just want it all done and dusted and in the past so i no longer have to carry it around in my brain yeah i um uh, I'm, I'm pretty much with you at this point um i am excited for i'm excited for all three of the marvel movies i the new, newest captain marvel trailer which just dropped today you know it definitely looks like a marvel movie yeah and the trailers are not looking great i still think it'll be it'll has a chance to be better than the trailers are making it look um, I think it could turn out to be just just an okay Marvel movie, which to me is still good. But um, yeah, but I, I'm getting some Doctor Strange vibes off. Of yeah, this. that's about the level I'm gonna probably put it at. Which don't get me wrong, I like that movie. So that was fine. And she seems like they had a little more personality in the trailer today. So as long as I just wanted the character for her to be good, because you know 
Yeah. She's going to be a main focus of moving forward, which I think is good. But that I hope that she's I hope that it's a good character. Yeah. Kind of back to my point about, you know, important versus good kind of thing. Um, just because they will be a staple for probably the next 10 years of movies. And for Endgame, obviously, it's just like this conclusion of this giant project. It just look, has a lot of appeal. And then for Spider-Man, I just really want to see Jake Gyllenhaal be a fucking weirdo as Mysterio because that sounds good to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed Homecoming. I want to see the next one, but I also don't know if I can go back to Tom Holland after Into the Spider-Verse. Mm, but That's fair. You see, you've seen the mountain and you can't go back. <laughs> Been atop a mountain. Yeah, okay. Uh, and the last thing for me that I had was, uh, well, I guess two things. So in, in less, I guess just about a week now, we get the uh, second season Punisher. Really? Is that that close? Yeah, the 18th of January. Okay. Uh kind of as Netflix style, just like, it's coming, here you go. <laughs> um, which I'm sure as the biggest joke on the internet right now is, oh, and then the cancellation announcement, cancellation announcement on the 19th. Uh, yeah, which is, much. Which is accurate. But, um, you know, we both talked about how much we loved that first season. I'm curious to see how a second season moves forward. Yeah. Um, if it sinks into, you know, the territory we're worried about, or if it does a good job of Because they really forward. haven't told us much about it yet. No, I mean, they released a little, not even a trailer, like a little clippy yeah. thing of like, Jigsaw with a weird mask. Uh, wish it was a little more fucked up, but I guess it's not well, the Well, I'm sure that mask comes off at some point. Yeah, well, and like they showed him without the mask. He just oh, like, has some okay. scars, and it's like, all right, well, I guess plastic surgery is pretty good nowadays, so. Yeah. Um, definitely wasn't good in 1978, that's for sure. Uh, and Godzilla. Godzilla. Uh, I still need to watch like the other two movies, but, uh, I guess I don't need to watch Kong beforehand. That's not going to happen, but I just, I keep watching the trailer and I'm like, I just want to see monsters fighting. Yeah. <laughs> cool looking monsters bashing into each other. That looks good. So that's about where I'm at right now. And you know, there's some books and stuff that, you know, the next, uh, the next, uh, Pierce Brown, dark rising or yeah, red rising book, dark age. And then he just made some announcement today that like, sounds like there might be some news on like a TV or movie hmm. series for that, which would be pretty cool. Um, but yeah, you got a number of things on here, Greg. What else you got? Yeah, well, so episode nine. Yeah. Um, because there's a very good chance it's the last Star Wars movie I give a shit about. <laughs> Fair. Um, because at that point, you know, all the characters that I really relate to and care about will be will have shuffled off the uh, the the Star Wars universe, and I'm not sure I'm going to stick around to see a movie that doesn't have Luke or Leia or Han in it. I don't know. We'll see. It's their job to make me care. Um, but, I'm, you know, I like Star Wars movies. Um, when I typed this up today, made my list, <laughs> Glass was on my list. And then um, before we sat down to record, I guess the review embargo got lifted and I saw some headlines. I may be less excited about Glass now. Yeah, it did not sound promising. Um, but we'll set that aside for now. Um, I am getting more and more confident about the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie. Really? I just, I'm surprised by that. I am too. But every time I see a set photo or some other little thing about it, I'm like, yeah, okay. Because if I'm just thinking about it, like this is just a, mo a Joker origin story set in the 80s that has kind of a, a crime movie feel. I'm like, I'm on board for that. I'm not thinking about if or how it connects to other DC Universe films. If it's just this thing, like it looks okay now. Again, they've released very little about it. So my opinion could change tomorrow or the minute we get a trailer or a logo or anything or like a shot of him in the full makeup. There's a lot of things that could change here. So 
cautiously optimistic, let's say. Mm. Um, video games. Um, there's no guarantee it's going to come out in 2019. It probably won't. But Death Stranding, which is Hideo Kojima's next game, it looks absolutely bonkers and insane. Every trailer makes less and less sense and makes it look less and less like a video game. And when I say looks less and less like a video game, I don't mean like the graphics are so realistic. I mean, when I look at this, I'm like, I don't see a game in here. I just see weird <laughs> shit. Um, so there's that. Um, there's a game coming out called Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, which is the next From Software game. Those are the guys that make Dark Souls and Bloodborne. It is clearly in that lineage of Dark Souls and Bloodborne, but it has a, um, you know, fantastical feudal Japan setting. I love those Soulsborne games. And this also seems to share some DNA with an old From Software series called Tenchu, which was a stealth ninja game back in the PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 era. I'm excited about that. Um, and the last video game I'm psyched for is Doom Eternal, which it's a new Doom game. Uh, they seem to know what they got right with the Doom 2016. Uh, just, it's absolutely absurd. <laughs> um, they put a grappling hook on your shotgun now because of course they did. Um, and it's called Doom Eternal, not Doom 2, not Doom 4, just Doom Eternal, which is, you know, pretty fucking metal. Something like that. Um... But I guess the thing that I'm most jazzed for for 19, and probably because it's like next week, so it's easy to get jazzed for it, is True Detective Season 3. Um, I think it comes out on Sunday, first episode. Um, True Detective Season 1 was a like pivotal TV experience for me. Um, True Detective Season 2 was a you know huge letdown, as it was for most people. But the early reviews is that uh, Season 3 is a return to form. So I'm, 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 I'm excited to watch some good television. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's going to be a, a good year. A lot of good releases. Um, you know, 2018 was a little bit of a, I mean, there were some, there's some high points and a lot of low points, but, uh, I do think we're at a weird point. Like even thinking more about even like DC, it's like past 2019, like we really don't know what a lot of the big studios are looking to do. And so that's kind of a good place to be. It also yeah. makes 2019 kind of feel like the end of like said, the end of an era, and moving forward might look very different for for Marvel, for Star Wars, for DC. So we can kind of see how these things kind of land. Like, I mean, is is Joker the only DC movie coming out? I guess it is, right? Nothing else is ready. Um, I can't imagine anything else would come out in in 19. Uh, no, Wonder Woman two. Oh, is it? Yeah, you're right. You are right. That, that is one right. Will be out. Yeah, so once again, it sort of feels like it's the last one they they have been actively like filming and making. Like, I mean, we we hear there's like there's a Flash movie and a Green Lantern movie, and it's like, but like, are they like? Yeah, they don't have directors at this Is point. There? Like, you know, they're at least three years out. So like, I feel like a lot's going to depend on how how this year goes for all these respective companies. I think will dictate the next decade yeah. of of like these companies putting out stuff. Yeah. Where There's a lot it? of good like musical releases this year too that are coming, but uh, you know I don't actually look that far ahead. I'm just like, oh, cool, a new whatever came out today. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> thanks I... Spotify. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, all right, guy. Well, all right. Well, I hope that your 2019 is better than our 2018. I was psyched out a little bit because on January 2nd. I woke up in my groggy state. You know, I was getting out of bed. I checked my phone. You know, look at my messages, and I'm pull up the internet and the headline that showed up was 
Donald Trump to resign 2019 and then in small print says top Bush <laughs> aide. And I was just like, I read it and I was just like, what? Ah, oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> I really got clickbaited on that one. But um, yeah, so hopefully that happens. But well, I think um, I think the smart money says we will have a different president by the end of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, we said this. I, I, but didn't you say this to, last year? This we time? were like, yeah, we're going to see. We're going to see like some. We might see an impeachment in 2018. Um, uh, but I think the, the smart money says that one way or another, it's going to be it'll be somebody else, whether it's uh, Pence or Pelosi or um, I don't know. Papa Wait, how, John. How would Pelosi become? She's Speaker of the House. She's third in line. Yeah. Oh, so you're saying if Pence gets indicted if, too, if or something like that. For some reason, Pence. Um, yeah. Okay. If he gets caught up in all this as well, um, obviously there's a lot of maneuvering that could be done that could, um, where they could like appoint a new vice president in the event of there is a there is a pathway for if if Pence is in trouble as well. There's no evidence right now to say he is, but if if he's evidence as well, if he resigns while Donald Trump is still in office, Donald Trump can appoint a new vice president. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they need to be confirmed by the Senate, but that would prevent a situation where they both get in trouble and then Nancy Pelosi's president for two years. So, but can you imagine? Welcome to our podcast within a podcast. <laughs> right. So anyway, hopefully 2019 is awesome and we get lots of good stuff and we'll, we'll be here to talk about it. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. See ya.